And if you would open up your copies of God's Word to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 12 today. As we take a look at the fifth commandment in our study. And if you want to go ahead and be ahead, if you can also you can mark that in Exodus chapter 20, but also have your finger over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as we will be looking there as well. I'll be reading out of Exodus chapter 20, however. We'll be in verse 12. Listen carefully, because this is God's word to us today. The Lord says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And to reiterate in Deuteronomy 5, and looking there at verse 16, it says, Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to look into your word. I pray that we would be able to evaluate it honestly, that we would open up our hearts and see where we have broken this commandment, but yet to see how much grace you have given to us in your son. I pray that this would motivate us to look into this commandment afresh and see your vision for our parenthood and for our spheres of authority. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the fifth commandment, when we get to it in our table of the Ten Commandments or in this series, we tend to be, this is the one where we elbow our children to make sure that they're paying attention. It's like, ah, we're getting to the fifth commandment. Y'all pay attention now because this is what we're supposed to be doing. We look at this as the children's commandment. This is the chance where we can finally get to involve our little ones in the reading of God's word. And we can certainly see that there is a level in which this is correct. This is the easiest one to adapt to our children, especially our young ones. Most of our five-year-olds are not committing theft, so we find it harder to directly apply this to our children. Now, maybe it says like, well, maybe, but but when we look at this commandment, there's more to it than that. Yes, there, it, it is nothing less than a challenge to our children to obey and honor us as parents. But this implies a tremendous responsibility that we as parents have to our children. After all, how else are they going to know about this fifth commandment unless we tell them about it and unless we work with that children to instruct them in this? Our children, contrary to how our society looks at them, our children are not born blank slates. Children that are neither good nor bad but neutral, and it's just a matter of what society does to fill our children. That's not true. Our children, like we are, are born sinners. And those that have volunteered in the nursery can attest to that nature. They are little sinners, and they need the gospel, just like we do. So we're going to look at our two points today as we examine this commandment together. 
We have been looking at, the, at these commandments just like as one book has called it from Alistair Begg, looking at this in terms of freedom. So they're not commandments that are meant to bind us down, but are meant to guide us toward a path of real freedom. That's what we're looking at here. Point number one is that children are freed to show honor to their parents. But number two, what we'll spend time on as well, is that adults are freed to be honorable for their children. That's what we're going to look at today. So the first, let's see our, our point that children are free to show honor to their parents. And indeed, children, listen, because this has impact for you. The scriptures are not just for grown-ups. The scriptures are for you. Not just this commandment, by the way, but this one leads us to the rest. So what does this mean when we look at verse 12, when it says, honor your father and your mother? What does it mean to honor your parents? Well, this word honor means weighty, something that has importance. Parents in your lives are important and something that we should live as if that's true. When they say things, we don't get to say, well, so-and-so saying something, but I'll decide whether or not I listen to it. The Lord has said, when these people are telling you things, you have to listen to them. But does it just mean a robotic obedience? It's like, all right, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to be very happy about it. There's one story of a child who was sitting, who was standing in the back seat of the car, and the, children, the parents were trying to get this child to sit down and put his seatbelt on. And he continues to refuse until finally, after enough physical encouragement, the child was indeed made to sit down. But he looked at his parents and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> This is not honoring your parents. It's not just a mere doing what they say, but doing so with gladness. Just doing obedience while doing it with a bad attitude is not obedience. That's just being a hostage. Doing something with gladness is what shows honor. Being happy about what it is that they have said for you to do is a good thing. And this is what Jesus is calling us to be. Now, we as parents, when we're seeking out this obedience, there is a certain amount of times where we will just shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, children are, need to express themselves, and one of the ways that they find, find themselves is rebelling against authority. And this is something that our culture expects, sometimes even encourages in different circles. Well, they're teenagers. They have to rebel to some extent. That's not Scripture's expectations. Disobedience is wrong. It's not just something that just kids do. I mean, they do do that, but we're called to guide them away from this. Again, through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of psychology or trying to work through our culture's means of coercing our children, certainly not through any sort of abusive means or from lack of discipline, but in the Lord. That's what we're calling our children to be. We're ultimately training our children when they respond to the authority that they can physically see. We're preparing them for the authority that one day they'll have to submit to with God, whom they can't. This is a boot camp for the remaining of authority that they will need to submit to because Christ calls us to do that. And we'll see that more as we go along. But notice also as we move past from honor, which we've discovered is not just a strict obedience, but obedience with gladness and honoring, a showing of weight and reverence to the children, to their parents, but who these parents are. 
Notice that it says, honor your father and your mother. Both parents are given equal weight of honor, which is something unusual in ancient law codes. In a society that favored fathers to the detriment of their wives and their children, this is rather stunning. This is calling of an honor to both. We, in different societies, have made different mistakes. There have been in ages where we have looked at mothers as, some, as, as inferior on a nature level to the fathers, and that these are unimportant, and that only you have to respect your father. That's not the case. Nor do we look at things and say, oh, our, the mistake our current society makes is we tend to view fathers as bumbling buffoons that aren't worth listening to either. Both of these are errors. The scripture is proper in the calling authority to both mother and father. Both are important. And when we lose one or the other, we can see the effects that that has not only on individuals, but on society as well. Both of these are called to be honored. We don't get to disrespect one in favor of the other. That's not what Christ calls us to do. This is not how the commandments point. But as we go along and we see father and mother, does this just mean your physical parents, the people who are biologically responsible for you? Well, actually, what we'll see here in the rest of the scripture, the terms father and mother are actually applied fairly broadly, and it's not just parents of physical descent. This gives other people as well. talks about really anybody that is in legitimate authority. For example, we see in Hebrews 13, 7, uh, we can, you can write these texts down and look them up this afternoon, but there is, a, there is a call to submitting to church leadership. For those that have been put into these positions to submit, again, only as far as the scriptures can say, which is important to make this distinction. They don't just get carte blanche on whatever it is that they personally desire, but whatever it is that the scriptures actually teach, there's a call to submission there. We also see in 1 Peter 5, 5, that there is a call for younger people to submit to older people, to not look to those that are older as relics of the past, but those that have gained wisdom from long years of walking with Christ and shouldn't just cast them aside simply because the culture says we should. We also look at government officials in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, 17. Uh, there is a call to submit to legitimate government authority. This doesn't mean that anyone who just stands up and says, I'm the governor now, is, that doesn't mean that we submit to them. It needs to be a legitimate authority, and it needs to be an authority that is informed by the Scriptures. We don't get to say, well, I'm submitting to the government, and the government has told me I have to keep my mouth shut about Jesus, so I will. It's like, no, it's always in the Lord. We can also see uh, fathers and mothers applied to the kings of Israel. We see that in 1 Samuel 24, 11. We see this given to prophets, those that proclaim the, words, the word of God in 2 Kings 2, 12. We also see the title of mother applied in Judges 5, 7 with Deborah when she had stepped up to be the leader of Israel because no one else would be. So this is a command to honor fathers and mothers goes beyond just our physical parents. And as I've emphasized over and over again with each one of these things, that this honoring and this obedience has limits. 
And those limits are the scriptures. If any one of these figures of authority are calling us to to disobey God, we see in Acts chapter 4 when religious leaders, who also were political leaders, were telling the apostles, don't speak about Jesus anymore. How did Peter respond? He said, we must obey God rather than man. The scriptures are the ultimate authority. And these are the things that we have to appeal to if we're going to have any sort of obedience. And we can also see, as we think about for those of us that are grown, maybe have children of our own, what does honoring of our physical parents look like? Does this mean that we still have to do every single thing that they say? This is, it's a different relationship now. There is, there is a leaving and cleaving that is referred to in Genesis chapter 2. The husband and wife will leave their fathers and mothers and cling to each other. So this isn't, again, the same level of obedience that, we were, that was expected of us when we were five. But there is still an honoring, a reverencing of our parents because they do love and care for us, again, in the Scriptures. So this is what this is referring to here. But now why is this command given? For the first time in the Ten Commandments, we are given a promise that's attached to this particular command. This is a difficult one to follow, if we're honest, because this is, for all of us, this is our first encounter with authority, is parents. The first wall that our sin nature hits when we want to expand as far as we can go is our first limit. So the Lord gives a promise. Why should you honor your father and mother instead of it just being or else? He's given a wonderful enticement to what this looks like. And here in Exodus 20, 12, it says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Deuteronomy 5, which was, again, written later on than the Ten Commandments. This is Moses' final uh, word to the people when they're about to go into the land. He makes reference to it back here in Deuteronomy 5, 16. says, honor your father and, and your mother as the Lord God commanded you. Back to Exodus 20. And then expands on that. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul reiterates this in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, when he talks about children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that you may live long on the land. And then Paul highlights that this is the first commandment with a promise, the Scripture interpreting the Scriptures and expanding on that. So what does this mean? Does this mean that if you are an obedient child, that you're guaranteed to live into your 90s? No. We've actually seen this in Scripture. Look, all when we think all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, Abel was obviously the obedient son. He was the one that was bringing the sacrifices as he was commanded to do, probably by being told how to do that from his father and his mother. And Cain was not. And what happened? Cain lived a long time and Abel was killed by Cain. So this, doesn't, this is not meant to be an ironclad promise, but it's more to be like the, the promises that we see in Proverbs, a general principle. And if we listen to our parents in general, things will go better. And in general, you will live longer. But this doesn't mean that we look at those that tragically die young and say, well, that one must have been disobedient. No, not necessarily. Or the ones that have lived a rotten life and have 
lived into their 90s, we don't say, it's like, well, I guess God's promises aren't true. That's not how it's meant to be designed. But it's meant to be saying, your life in general will go better when you honor your parents. I know it's hard to trust sometimes. I know it's difficult to see that your parents really do have your best interests at heart most of the time. And that we're to trust and follow after them. It's also worth noting that a long life here is not necessarily the greatest of blessings that we look to. Yes, this is a wonderful blessing, but there's more than that. There was a, one commentator who had put it this way. He was asking the question, is it right to seek and pray for long life and material prosperity? And he answers, certainly it is right, provided these blessings are not regarded as our chief aim but are kept in subordination to the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and provided we seek them only in humble submission to the will of God. He continues, it is sinful to grasp after long life and prosperity as if they were our chief end. The Christian must always remember that the life that is life indeed is not the present life, but that of eternity, and that the true treasure is not that of this earth, but that is heaven. This does not involve an attitude of contempt for the blessings we receive here on earth. It only involves a true perspective and a right sense of the relative importance of this life and the life to come. What is he saying here? Is it wrong to pray for a long life? No. But that's not our biggest hope. The biggest hope that we have is eternal life. And no matter how things go here, it will go well for us. And we will live long in that land. There is an eternal perspective that we bring to this, even as we are children obeying our parents. Children that are obeying parents and parents who are seeking to bring them the word of God are going to bring an abundant life. Might not be so always here, but there will be such an eternity. And that's what we look to. So this is what we're looking at when our, of our children's expectations of this commandment. The responsibilities of those that have had a lower position of, of authority towards those that are in this upper position of authority. But now what about the other way around? We've seen the responsibilities of children to parents. What are the responsibilities of parents to children? Or church leaders to congregants? Or governments to its citizens? That's what we're going to unfold next if we look into our second point. That adults are freed to be honorable to their children. Again, from this same commentator earlier, he puts this point. Skip to the end. This is one thing that I want us to get because this is how we're going to unfold the rest of this passage. He said, all selfish use of authority is abuse of authority and therefore sinful. I'll read that again. All selfish use of authority is abuse of authority and therefore sinful. What is he saying? When he, in an earlier point, he had said persons who are in positions of authority should realize that this authority has not been committed to them for their own selfish enjoyment and that they have a real duty to those under their authority, and that they themselves are under the moral government of God and must give an account to him for their exercise of authority in every case. What is he saying here? The reason why you have, you're a parent is because you have a duty to do. You've got a job. 
Why has the Lord put you in a position of church authority? It's because you have a responsibility and a job. Why have you been put in a position of political authority? Because you have a responsibility and a duty to those that are underneath you. A position of authority, as Shakespeare had well put it, the crown of a king is heavy. There is a weightiness to this thing that we're called to do. And if we choose to be selfish in how we use this authority, we are abusing that authority. And unfortunately, the examples that we could pull from, both in history and perhaps even our own personal lives, are many. There is a many ways that we can be selfish in using this authority. Some would be as acting for our own interests rather than the interests of those that God has put in our care. If we use our children as means to vicariously live some life that we hoped that we could, that's abusing the authority that we've been given. Or if we are choosing to be passive in our actions rather than what God has called us to do, saying it's a lot of work to be consistent and disciplined, and I would just rather not. Or wanting to stay away from certain subjects because it's just too much of a fight. It's abdicating our responsibilities and is being abusive of our authority. Other things, and these are all examples that our larger catechism has pointed to, Another way would be asking more than our, those that we've put under, the, those that are supposed to obey us, asking more of them than is possible. Placing too high of an expectation beyond what the scriptures would offer. It's an abusing of our authority. Or by leading them towards sin and away from good. But we're always called to point them back to Jesus. Or by being dishonorable ourselves, being a bad example of the life that we're supposed to call them to be. It's a weighty thing to be a parent. It's a weighty thing to be a pastor. It's a weighty thing to be a politician, or it should be at least. And when we, when we use these positions of authority to benefit ourselves... We abuse what God has given to us. Now, this doesn't mean that it was saying, like, well, does this mean I, I can't have enjoyment over my children? It's like, no, this is not to say that we can't be proud of the things that our children have, um, have done and that there are blessings that we have. We see in the Proverbs that a wise son makes a glad father. So it's like there's not to say that, um, that leadership is just meant to always be this big, powerful burden that we carry. But it is meant to be as like we don't, God has not given us our, our kids to make us better. Our kids have been given us to make them more like Jesus. That's our call. It, it, uh, it involves responsibility and sacrifice. There's a lot to it. And there are more spheres of authority than we think. Remember when we were looking back in Peter? And it's talked about that those that are younger are supposed to show reverence and honor to those that are older. So that means as long as there is someone younger than you, you have a job. Whether you're an older sibling that's meant to look after a younger sibling, or you're a retiree that never had the chance to have children, it doesn't mean this commandment doesn't apply. There is a work that the Lord has given for you to do. That's a wonderful thing. We're called to be honorable and to carry out this job that we've given, that we have been given. So how do we apply this? What does this look like practically? I've got a couple of points of application for you.
One application as we think about how we are to do this well, think about the ways that you model your responses to your authorities. This is particular for parents to children. Do they see you complain about those that are at your workplace or those that are in positions of power? This doesn't mean that we can't, that, that those are shielded from legitimate critique. But there's a big difference between critiquing and complaining. How do your kids see how you respond to those authorities? And what are we teaching by doing that? Would we say the same things about our politicians if they were standing right next to us, or would we modify how we talk about that? Something for us to consider. And as we further think about those that perhaps when we're in a position of obeying someone else, what does this commandment look like? Obeying and honoring parents necessarily means obeying and honoring imperfect people. When this command calls us to honor our father and mother, this does not mean just honor father and mother that are worthy of it. Because if we're honest, none of us are. None of us deserve to be honored based on our own merits. We are imperfect people. And this is what God has called us to do. And I recognize that this can be harder to do for some than others. I was, I was given a great father. It's really easy for me to honor him because he has been an honorable man. Has he been a sinner? Of course. But he's been an honorable one. What about those fathers that really have been scoundrels? Or maybe the fathers that have been absent and never got to meet them at all. How do you get to honor those people like that? came across an article written actually this week written by a man named Samuel Say. He grew up in Ghana and was immigrated over to Canada many years ago. And his father abandoned him and his mother when he was born. He never got to really meet him, never saw him, still doesn't know who he is. And he wrote this article about how do I honor my father on this day, even though I don't know who he is. And the striking thing that he had said was one way that he does that is to, one, to be forgiving. To recognize that he, the author, had sinned himself and needed forgiveness and was willing to show his father forgiveness. Not because his father deserved it, but precisely because he didn't. And he also went on to say, it's like, even though you, father, were a dishonorable father, through Christ, I want to be honorable son. And to be an honorable son is a great way to honor a father, even one that has been dishonorable. We still are called to obey this commandment. Ultimately, we can do this because we have an ultimate authority that we are submitting to. Maybe if we did not have a good earthly father, you still have a good heavenly father who is willing to forgive us. We're not lovable on our own. We have sinned. We can see the high standard that the Lord has placed on just this first half of the Ten Commandments. None of us have been able to get through these commandments unscathed. We've broken all of them in some way, shape, or form. And yet, despite the fact that we were really disobedient, awful children, the Lord has come and provided this ultimate sacrifice, again, showing what true wielding of authority looks like. A father who sent his son to go and be a sacrifice for us. That's what Jesus did. Lived on the earth and was a model child who honored his parents even when he was infinitely more honorable than they were. 
Jesus was actually the perfect child and yet still submitted to his father and his mother, even though they were imperfect. He lived out this commandment perfectly because there's no way that we could. And then when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for breaking this commandment, which is death, by the way, for all these sins. Took that penalty, so now we don't have to endure it. And then gave us his record of perfect obedience to authorities all the way to the end. And it's only by that, if we put our trust in Christ, turn from our sins, and put our full hope in him, then we can be promised our days that will be long. Indeed, all of eternity in heaven. That's the promise that this commandment gives to us. So in closing, as we walk away from here and think about our parents or our fathers, for those that have been dishonorable, honor them by coming to Christ. Honor them by becoming the child that they should have raised. But that, the, your, but that their heavenly father took care of in their absence. If you've, had a, if you've had a great father, go and tell him that. Thank him today. It's a great way to honor a parent. Or if a father has been awful, this is a chance to be forgiving, as we have been forgiven. I don't mean to be glib about that or to say that this is necessarily an easy thing to do. What I do say is that this is a possible thing to do in Jesus. You are deeply loved by your heavenly father, even if you've not been deeply loved by your earthly father. Your God cares for you and provides for you, even when others haven't. So come to him today. Jesus rose from the dead after paying that sin debt and promises life for you anew. And one day be able to spend all of eternity with the ultimate father. Where all cares and concerns have been gone away. Perfect accommodation of all needs has been taken care of. That's the promise that we're going to. That's the hope that we have in Christ who obeyed this command perfectly. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for how you have provided for us, that you have provided us access to the Father, because as we've heard, no one comes to the Father except through you, that you have provided a way for us to be adopted into your family, and a family that we can never be kicked out from. So I ask that you would help us as we think on what those implications of this command are. Help us to honor our father and mother. If there are those that are here that have had horrible fathers and horrible mothers, I ask that you would bring them comfort on this day. Because I know this is a hard thing to hear. For those that have had wonderful fathers, I pray that we would be grateful for them and that we would be able to express that gratitude. And that we would be able to express that forgiveness where necessary, even for good fathers. And ask that we would only look to you as the perfect example of what fatherhood is. And be grateful of the generosity and mercy that you have shown to us disobedient children. We thank you for all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we say them. Amen.